0: Today's GM Street is brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy Football. This NFL season, be your own GM. Be a winning GM. Turn this season into a fistful of epic wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. So when you play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. Yahoo Fantasy is also the only app where you can manage all of your season long and daily fantasy teams in one Place, just in one place. It's so easy. Create or join a league now at yahoo.com slash GM Street Fantasy Football. That is yahoo.com slash GM Street Fantasy Football. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Wednesday. It is August 8th. And on the line, unfortunately on the line. Wish you he was here in studio with me, Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing?
1: I'm good tape for it. well, I'm not really good. I mean, American Airlines kind of destroyed my day. But other than that, I should be there. I mean, I was supposed to be on a, on a 315 flight out of Philadelphia going back. I had the dogs with me. Oh. Millie was with me, right? Oh, of course. So I get to the airport, and they tell me you can't fly the dogs because it's over, say, 85 degrees, which they never told me. Well, no big deal. So go back home, and I'll, I'll take the flight myself, right? And I turned down a chance to get a $500 ticket because I was, wasn't willing to wait to 845. So got on the flight, waited. We sat on the runway for three hours, brought us back, told us we were going to leave, kept lying and lying. It was funny. I was talking to Ed Warner on Twitter, and he was like, they just keep lying to you the whole time. And he was right. <laughs> they will just keep lying. They lied to us. Finally, at 9 o'clock, they canceled the flight. I, do. I, had, to take a, I had to take an Uber back home. Cause I live, you know, the Jersey shore is an hour from Philadelphia airport. So you get, you know, it's not, not convenient. You know, it's not around the corner. So then I had to take it. So then, you know, I mean, I, so I got to, I spent my entire day at Philadelphia airport. No pretzels, no cheese steak, nothing.
0: No, nothing. They didn't even give you a no, room. No, they, they brought they, out
1: they... snacks. They brought out snacks. Yeah, American brought out snacks. You got some peanuts. Yeah, that's about it. So you got, they actually, they put us on the plane. How about these poor people? They were going to Paris. <laughs> so they put these people on a plane. They kicked them off the plane that was going to Paris because that plane was exactly like the one we were flying that was having quote unquote mechanical issues. Mm-hmm. They kick those people off the plane. They put them on another gate. One lady's completely lost. She can't speak English. She's walking around. But she has no idea where she's going. Right. They finally get that. They kick everybody off. We get on that plane. We get ready to board and take off. Right. Where everybody's in their seats. And that's when the t- pilots timed out and they can't go. Literally. And that's when they, they get off the plane. The guy says, this plane ain't going anywhere.
0: Because they had flown too many, it had been too many hours, right? Where, the, where too, many, they were, yeah. too many hours. It's like I mean, truck it was, drivers, It yeah. was
1: bizarre. And then you should, the line at customer service to get a, t- I was like, I'm out, I'm out, that's it. I got to get back. So that's why I'm not back there today, but I'll be back in LA tomorrow.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you back. I will say this: this is probably your most celebrity moment because uh, that, that's the big things that celebs do. They have the, these moments on planes where you know they they tweet at United or they tweet at American Airlines. You know, I've had this horrible experience. Blah blah blah. Like I remember the other day, I was you know watching Sophia Bush, uh, big one tree one tree hill fan here, but uh, I was watching hers and she's on United, having the same problems as you, Lombardi. But that, but that's like the big celebrity thing they do in the airports is go after these airlines. Um, at large, I will say this as someone who flies on all these flights, if there is, uh, or there are any mechanical issues, I'm fine to stay on the ground. I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I, I can hang I'm on the okay. ground. But they
1: change planes, but here's the thing. Here's the thing I learned. <laughs> the summer travels, the worst travel. Oh yes. Time. At of least course. when you go to the airport and it's snow and you know, there's a chance you're not getting out. Right. So you make the judgment. I right? take an earlier flight. When's the snow coming? You can work around it. The airport, you get there, like these thunderstorms, they just show up out of the blue. Like you never even knew that. Oh, then we go. Then here's the great one. We got to fly around them. You know, and then they got to fly over, so we can't go. They leave you on the runway. I mean, we literally sat on that plane for three hours. But anyway, I was well-rested so I could come home, Tate Fraser, and spend time watching a show I'd never watched, but I'm compelled to watch it this year because we are going to, every Wednesday on GM Street, we are going to give an honest and simple review of The Great Hard Knocks.
0: The Great Hard Knocks, uh, HBO's own, own variety show where they go and take you inside the locker room of uh, one of my favorite uh, verbs that I've I've turned in over the years is uh, when someone gets hard knocks, when you watch the show and you you tend to buy in and believe in a team. We saw it all over the years, you know, with the Cincinnati Bengals dating back to Chad Johnson when he was on that show um, and, and some of his antics and, and even up, you know, lead into the, the, we saw the Texans with Billy O'Brien. We saw the Dolphins with Joe Philbin. We, we've seen so many iterations, Rex Ryan and the New York Jets so many, so many moments over the years. Uh, the HBO Hard Knocks has, has given us some insight into uh, what really goes on in an NFL, NFL locker room. Um, this year, obviously, we are in Cleveland, and we have to start with the cleanse, right, Michael Lombardi? That, that's what we learned last <laughs> well, no, night. We
1: had to start with LeBron. Like, did you ever <laughs> doubt that that show was going to open up with the LeBron thing?
0: Yes, so that, that was the opening scene of the show. It's it's a bunch of guys that are uh, you know scaffolding down on, on the big wall that Nike Nike pays for this big LeBron you know poster where he has Cleveland on his back and he has his arms outstretched, uh, very similar to the Michael Jordan poster, the Wings poster. Um, but that's what they're taking it down. Nike is taking it down because LeBron is no no longer in Cleveland, as we all know. So that's the opening shot of the episode. We 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 the despair in Cleveland. Uh, you know, a, a town that had seen some real real lows, even though they did win a title in 2016, uh, which was not too long ago, but, but but that's the opening shot, and we set up for Hugh Jackson's redemption story, right? It, that's what's coming from this? That, that's what we've learned?
1: You know, you think so. I mean, look, I, I say this. I think you have to be, as a coach, and as a young coach you watch this, you really have to understand a couple things. You know, your job is to be the head coach, and so you should be the guy who has the expert knowledge of everything, because that's why you're getting paid $5 million a year, and that's why you you're supposed to have a pulse on everything that's going on on your football team. And so when you're watching this, you've got to look at this and evaluate the coach. That's what Gridiron Genius is essentially about. Part of the book that I wrote is I got tasked with a job by the Rams to do this project on what makes a great head coach. And it, it boils down to four areas of leadership. So when I'm watching this, I'm thinking of all four areas of leadership. Does he have command? Does he have a plan? Can he explain his plan? Do the players trust him? You know, and all these things. And I'm watching it. And I think these are the kind of shows that can make or break careers. I mean, Herm Edwards never recovered from, from, from Hard Knocks. Never recovered from it. Made him look bad. You know, made, got a peek inside of what his building was. It's going to be fascinating to see how Hughes handles this.
0: And let's just talk about, you know, from, from the jump. I mean, I, I talked about the Clins. That was an actual theme uh, to open this episode where uh, Hugh Jackson gets, you know, a big group of people. Uh, I think it's the— it was a bit,
1: Well, to his left was his daughter, and then to his daughter's left was the owner
0: he yes. Haslam. She yes. went in there.
1: I didn't see, you know, which was surprising. You know, the whole first episode, we didn't see hear from the Haslam's, which I think was probably uh, by design. But yeah, they they part of the cleanse as well.
0: Yeah, so they all dive into Lake Erie, uh, Hugh Jackson. I, th- I think they were doing it for a cause uh, to fight human trafficking in Cleveland. You know, nice calls to do this. So they they jump into Lake Erie. They call it the cleanse. They they say that they've they've baptized uh, themselves into the world of winning, and they've putting they're putting the losing in the past. And we see guys like Jarvis Landry in this episode. You know, talk about how uh, you know weakness and and and, and an, an idea that you want to sit out from a game. You know, that's contagious. He goes on. Uh, a, a, a swear-filled rant that even Rex Ryan would blush at um, You know, in the wide receivers room, trying to get these guys motivated.
1: Which I thought was interesting. Okay, first of all, I mean, you know, I admire, I admire Landry. Look, I think Landry's well overpaid at $16 million. He's one of the He's one receiver that, you know, he has a lot of production in terms of catches. But you can see by his work ethic and you can see by his hands that he'll catch the ball and he's good with the ball in his hands. However, yards after the catch is not very good. And his numbers really... In Miami, are pedestrian. I mean, look, Todd Gurley averaged more yards per catch with the football coming out of the backfield than Jarvis Landry lined up as a receiver. But that being said, I mean, you know, I respect what Landry's trying to do here, but that's not really, that just tells you a microcosm of what's wrong with the Browns. When a receiver has to talk to his players in the room, then you know the culture is not there. If you brought in any culture expert in the world and you sat down there and you had to hear, and he's watching this show on TV, He's saying, "Well, the culture has to start with the head coach, but obviously it didn't. The culture's got to start with the with the owner, but obviously it didn't,
0: yeah, it definitely didn't and uh it, the interesting thing to me with the landry." Uh, situation K- kind of came uh, to its head when, when we get to this this meeting with all the coaches and we get, get to the brass of the Browns and we get Hugh Jackson sort of holding court in this room and, and Todd Haley, obviously an offensive coordinator that had been with the Steelers for a while um, and, you know, had been a head coach at Kansas City. Hugh Jackson is talking to him, talking to Greg Williams, talking to his whole staff. And, you know, he's basically saying, uh, you know, this is my team. I'm making the decisions. And if we go down, you're going.
1: He quotes Al in the meeting, but really, let's face it, Al owned the team. And he has Al Saunders back up his quote by saying, What did Al used to say? Well, Al did say that. You know, this is my team. We're going to do what I want to do. It is his team. He owned it. He wasn't the head coach. Now, let's go back a little bit here. First of all, he's talking to these guys in the room, you know, and three of them have more wins as head coaches than he does. (laughs)
0: Yeah, okay. so so that's what I was going to ask you about. So he, he's saying this, basically, the, the context of the conversation is, uh, he's saying, I, I know what you guys are seeing from your chairs, because I've sat there before, I've been a coordinator, I've been a running backs coach in Cincinnati, I've done all these, you know, sorts of things. Um, but it's different where I'm sitting but how much how how does that play in a room where Todd Haley has obviously been a head coach and sat in that chair and he has you know experience in that head coach position i mean it, it seemed like he was almost talking down to those guys a little bit and that was that was that kind of turns people but off without
1: any without any substance i mean look i've sat in bill walsh's coaches meetings i've sat in bill Belichick's coaches meetings i've sat in a lot of coaches meetings there was never any one of that you know whenever you got to tell somebody who's got the power that doesn't work i mean walsh made it very clear what he wanted from his coaches nobody was going to Tell Walsh what they wanted. He was going to ask. If they asked, they gave an opinion. But I, I think really here is a really good indication. First of all, the guy with the most power in the room was Joe Sheehan, the mm-hmm. trainer. Mm-hmm. He's the one who was who was who was handing out days off. Now, could you imagine sitting in a training room in New England or in Cleveland when Bill Belichick's the head coach and the and the strength and the training is then coming in and saying, "Oh, wait a minute, you know this guy needs a day off tomorrow. This guy needs a day off tomorrow." Their job as trainers is to basically say to you, this player is healthy enough to practice. And if he can't practice, what is his limitations? Okay? That's their job. Their job isn't to tell who needs rest. That's called the head coach's job. All right. So now let's go a step further. So Joe Sheehan gives this report. Now Sheehan's been through through all the he was there when I was there. So he's kind of he knows how to play the game as well as anybody. So he goes through it and he gives his report. This guy needs a day off, this guy does it. Okay, great. To me the star of Hard Knocks was Freddie Kitchens. The tight ends coach, mm-hmm. who's basically pleading with him, pleading with you, just to let his guys dress, so he'll he'll handle the reps, okay? Because he's been in an NFL team before; he's actually seen it. Todd Haley is sitting there; he's listening to Bill Parcells handle a team meeting room. And let me just say this to you, Tay Fraser: There's no chance in hell. No trainers telling Bill Parcells who's practicing and who ain't. Okay, there's no chance. Zero. That zero. Zero. Then, so Kitchens, to me, was the star of the show. I thought Kitchens at least had a sense of understanding. Todd Haley was completely flabbergasted. I mean, he couldn't understand it. But really, what Haley couldn't understand and what Kitchens doesn't understand is nobody gets days off. In New England, if you can't practice, what you have to do for not practicing is harder than practicing, okay? It's because if you can't do it, it's like you're not going to sit there and have a day off and and drink tea and, and put the sunglasses on and go to the pool while other guys are out there working. And if that were the case, then the whole Landry speech wouldn't even be needed. Yes, The Landry speech isn't even needed.
0: And w- and we also saw a moment uh, with Hugh Jackson on the field. So Hugh's saying this stuff where he's, he's like, basically, I want to protect my players because it, it doesn't matter about right now. It matters about during the season. We don't want to lose Duke Johnson during the season. He needs to get all the carries. And we want to keep him healthy. He, he's making this argument, right? But then we see him... On the field later in the episode, and it's Denzel Ward, first round pick, uh, standing there uh, with another defensive back, and they're they're basically just talking shop to each other while the defense is running through schemes, and and they're sort of throwing out calls out there and getting reactions, and then Hughes just staring at him, and they have this little funny exchange back and forth. It's like coach is looking at us, he's he's still looking at us. Should I say something? Then they finally look at him. He's like, "What are you guys doing, having a tea party over there?" So then he's he's talking out of both sides, you know, he doesn't want these guys to to run through some of this stuff uh, for fear and, of injury. And, and it's
1: really kind of sad. It's yeah. really, it's it, to me, watching it, and I, and I get a lot of crap from people, you know, in the league and, and get a reputation, well, you're just Belichick, and you know, it happens all the time. Like, I've seen how Belichick does it, so yes, I am spoiled, yes, I'm spoiled, and I've written a book about how it should be, and maybe that's not exactly how everybody should do it to win because not everybody has to do it that way but there
0: has to be but I will point there out has to be in the book I mean it's not like you're saying this is how to do it you're you're just allu- you're just basically showcasing what these, these great leaders like Bill Walsh and Al Davis and Bill Belichick and all these people that you've been around have done you know what I mean you're just you're just right, basically mapping the, it out shoot- yeah
1: what Hugh's doing it isn't going to cut it. Like you can't do that, and, and so basically they want to be a tougher team. Well, the only way you can be a tougher team is to practice when it's hard, when you can get toughness. You can't just you just can't turn a toughness switch on in your body. You just can't make it happen, you know. And you wonder why guys and I've never seen guys have more like more comfortable than ever. Like the one thing you should be at that camp is uncomfortable.
0: Well, let's talk because- about let's talk about a guy that's very comfortable with that camp uh, he came in with a camper uh, they, have the, they have the quarterback room um, we, we saw John Dorsey when when he gets the, the deal done and gets Baker Mayfield signed of course the number one pick in the NFL draft this year um, you know it, it, it's all hugs and celebrations and Baker's saying the right things to the media he's not here to be a backup even though Tyrod has already gotten the nod you know from Hugh Jackson to be the number one guy but we, but we have this interesting moment uh, between Hugh which I think this was actually one of the best moments right for Hugh Jackson in this episode as far as being a coach and trying to motivate a guy to do something and take the next step. He's talking to his number one pick, Baker Mayfield, and we'll play that clip right now. What's up, my son? So I guess that's what you said when you said it was different. I
2: tried to tell you. And uh, what time do you normally get up in the morning? I was a little bit later this morning. No, no, I know. But no, what time do you normally know come over? Depends on when we start. Huh? Try and get in about two hours before. Okay. You ever come in with uh, your boy, five? He does it, He got? does his own little workouts in the no, mornings. You, wh- where's your own little workout in the morning? Huh? Where's your own little workout in the morning? You start starting your career how you want to. You see what I'm saying? It's a competition. All in everything you do, baby. You know how to do it. Why not? <laughs>
0: you know, it help. And I, and I like no, that. He, I like that. He
1: doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to. He just admitted he doesn't know how to do it. Like, like to me, you're trying to be the guy's friend there. Like, Jimmy, okay, the only thing I can compare it to is Jimmy Garoppolo. You didn't have to tell Jimmy Garoppolo to get in early. He saw Tom Brady get in early one day. That was the end of it. He was coming in early. Like, he was competing. What that conversation tells you is Baker Mayfield's out. He's got his hand out. He expects it. He feels entitled. And see, this is the real problem you have when you take over a team that's never won. The high-priced guys are all rookies, okay? So you got no leadership to really establish the culture you want to put in place. You have no way of getting them to buy in. And then you get a guy like this. Like, that conversation should have been, hey, Mayfield, your ass don't get in here by 530 in the morning. You'll be third on the depth chart. The story. That,
0: that, that's the only knock that I have on, on on the way he tiptoed around it. You know what I mean? It wasn't a. It, it was wasn't passive aggressive. Yeah, it wasn't a direct address. You know, it's like when do you come in? Uh, about you know, I, and then Baker gives the the PC answer about two hours before everybody else, even though he said he was late this morning. And then when he get pushed back, he was almost shocked by because I think Hughes has been so nice to him the entire time. You know, he was kind of like, huh? Like what what do you mean? Yeah. And, and then he's well, like, well, uh, so you know, if you
1: had that conversation with Belichick, it would have gone like this like what Belichick, the first question Belichick would ask when he asked, what time did you get in today? Belichick a would have known what time do you usually get in? He would have known like he would have like, it would have been over with like, look, if your ass don't show up. You're third on the depth chart. Like we're not, he's talking about handing out stripes on the helmet and yet he's tolerating guys doing whatever they want them to do. Like young players don't know. That's why you're paid $5 million a year. You're paid to lead the coach, to lead the players, tell them what they want to do. Don't tell me they're grown men. They're not grown men. They're still young players. Get your ass in here and start working and prepare and make it hard for him. All of a sudden, he's got the four-string quarterback putting the snacks in like Baker Mayfield's played 10 years in the league. Like, <laughs> yo, oh, yo, Baker, you should be stacking the refrigerator too, bro.
0: Yep, and we saw that uh, when they brought Baker up, he got called out in front of the whole uh, team, and and they, they asked him what what is what did they ask him what his sinus signing bonus was, right? Which gets back to your point about the young guys being the rich guys on the team, and then everyone kind of reacted to that, and then he like sang, uh, you know, Rocky Top or something like that, and some of the players didn't really join in, and then he kind of just sat back down. Um, he, he he's kind of gotten himself in this weird spot because he is kind of in a cushy position where. Tyrod is the guy, right? So they're not going to throw him out to the Wolves to start the season. But, I mean, we even saw when he goes to practice, there's already people chanting Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. I mean, what does that do to a locker room? I mean, are they excited about the idea that Baker Mayfield is getting all this attention? Obviously, he is the number one pick, and 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 fans in Cleveland are excited. But, I mean, is there a, is there a little bit of a hesitation because you don't want a guy like Baker to buy into his own hype before he's even the starting quarterback on on his own team, you know?
1: Well, he's already bought into it. I mean, one of the things you have got to do with young players, the number one thing you got to do is you got to de-recruit them. You got to basically tear back all the the ass-kissing they've had at the schools for so long. You know, you got to do it with Alabama players. You got to do it with Oklahoma. You got to do it with every team. You got to peel them back. And it, and really, what it is, it's about the rookie orientation program. You got to spend the month of May and June with your rookies and educate them on what it's like to be a pro. Not about how how they're going to put their money in the bank or what they're going to do. You got to educate them on what it takes to become a pro football player. And if they can't grasp it, then it's going to be hard to do because you got to set it. That's what coaches do. That's what leaders do. Remember this. When you take over a young team, you get a chance to establish the culture. Fuck the cleanse. The cleanse is nothing. <laughs> establish a culture. Yeah. But who doesn't establish a culture? There's no culture being established. There's no, we're talking about working hard. We're talking about getting tougher. And we're not doing any of it. we got a trainer who's controlling who practices and doesn't practice. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I know that happens in the 76er world. It drives me off the wall, right? You know, this guy's got a bad toenail. He can't practice today. Okay, I get it. That's basketball, right? But in football, are you kidding me? I mean, and even Hallie, like Hallie couldn't understand it because Hallie's been around Parcells. I mean, Todd Hallie took a team to the playoffs. You can say whatever you want about Todd Hallie. He's, you know, whatever he is. Hallie at least has seen an operation with culture. I don't think Hugh
0: ever has. And let, let's play that clip right now because this is in that meeting we, we mentioned before and, and Todd Haley kind of just goes back at Hugh Jackson like uh, Hugh is basically just like we said holding court and he's just you know making some, some you know some some statements that are just like grand statements about what they want to be as a program with the Cleveland Browns but Todd Haley is kind of pushing back and is like well we can't do that unless these guys are on the field and we'll play that clip now
2: I just I, I have an opinion on it uh-huh. and and We we need to get so much done, you know, and and I know I said that to you and we joke about it, but if we live in our fears, I mean our team has to get mentally tougher and be able to fight through the shit that we got to fight through. We got to change this drastically, and if we got guys that haven't done shit sitting around doing nothing. You know, it, I just don't know how we're going to do it. Well, I respect you saying that. I mean, I used to sit in the same I mean, chair. Joe, let I'm me finish. Well, well, let me finish. I used to sit in the same chair as you guys sat in, and I used to feel the same way. I just want to kill them, okay, until all of a sudden I sat in this chair, and then they're not there, and you don't get them to practice, and you can't get them through, and then you don't have them for three weeks. And I'm not living in my fears. That's real, and I think we all can appreciate that. Anything else? Speak now, baby, your piece. Get it out. Anything all, else? All that being said, on a positive, and we got a lot, a long way to go, but that being said, we're making progress. There's enough positive uh, uh, in my experience that I'm encouraged. That's good. Guys, listen, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm going to say it again, but the chair I sit in, a little different than the chair you guys sit in. I get to watch from a different lens, Okay, and I think you guys can all respect that. At the end of the day, I get to drive this bus. And I'm going to get it the way I want it. That's period. That's just how it works. Okay? Al, used to, Al taught me a long time ago. You know, what, what is it, Al? Give it to me. it's your team, you do whatever the hell you, you want. To, it's your team, you do whatever the hell you want. Okay? So this one's mine. So that's just the way it's going to be. And that is of respect of everybody in this room. But this is how we do it. And you know, we'll always have these kinds of discussions. Because I'm only trying to make it better. If something we can do better, we're going to do it better.
0: So, so the 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 thing about that whole back and forth is, you know, first he pulls the Kanye West, I'm going to let you finish, uh, you know, to Todd Haley and then says his point and then basically wraps up, you know, into discussion kind of thing. Um and then like we we brought up before, he just says it's his team as if, you know, he's he's in charge and he is the owner of this team. And you get Todd Haley who was trying to bring up a point to try to get these guys to get better. That was I think the main reason why he was trying to step up and say something, and then he kind of cowers back and is just like well, I'm encouraged, you know, and when, and when you're sitting on your heels and, and you just say that things are going well, but you're not really doing anything to think to make things better and there aren't real drastic changes happening, then you can't really change the culture, which is the whole point of the conversation. Right.
1: Right. And so here's what happens in the NFL. OK, so those guys leave the meeting. Right. Haley, Haley realized he was on a camera and he and he needed to kind of back off where he was coming from. So he didn't want to be portrayed as being a, as being somebody who wasn't in favor. So he tried to put a, po- a positive spin on it, you know, because he knew the, k- the cameras are here. I need to do it. Yeah, swallowing so his a little bit up. there. Yeah. Yeah, and Hugh tries to be, you know, Hugh tries to say, hey, I'm in charge. And, you know, yeah, Al owned the team. Al owned the team, right? Al never gave a head coach the authority just to run his team. Al owned the team. So let's get that straight. The other thing I think you got to understand here is, is that to get a team ready for the season, you're going to lose some guys. That's part of the business, right? You can't you can't prepare for a boxing match without sparring. You just can't do it. And so whatever Hugh's saying about it, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. Because no matter what chair you're sitting in, getting a football team ready is the same chair. And he's taking the path of least resistance because he thinks once we're healthy, we'll be fine. You ain't that good. Mm-hmm. You gotta practice. And if you lose a couple guys along the way, so be it. You can lose a couple guys along the way. But for me, just listening to that conversation, all those guys are going to get out of their chair. This is, this is so classic Tate Frazier in the NFL. They're going to pretend that they're all on board, and they're going to go into their offices, and they're all going to bitch, and they're all going to bitch about how screwed up it is, and how they can't get any toughness, and how they can't really get their players. And then when the losing starts, all that bitching becomes compounded. So he doesn't have control of his own staff. They're not buying into it. Greg Williams isn't buying into it. Greg Williams is advertising for himself, and there's a defense quarter. i I got just seven jobs I could have <laughs> had here. Really?
0: Yeah. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, Full Sail University. Full Sail University combines hands on learning, immersive projects, and faculty with real world experience to prepare students for life in the media industry. That's what this life is the media industry. And for the Dan Patrick School of Sports Casting, they brought in some of sports media's best to be a part of the program. Longtime ESPN producer and multi Emmy winner, Gus Ramsey is heading up the program, and sports casting pros such as Sage Steele. Jay Harris, Kevin Agandi, Bill Simmons, and many more are involved. In this program, students will learn sports casting inside and out, on camera, behind the camera, podcasting, radio, interviewing, and everything in between. This episode of GM Street, as I said, is brought to you by Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. He is a legendary sportscaster, and we love Dan Patrick here on GM Street. Please go check it out of Full Sail University, and that is brought to you by GM Street. So let, let's talk about yeah. Greg Williams a little bit. I mean, obviously, the, the, there's the history with Greg Williams with, with the New Orleans Saints and Bounty Gate and all that sort of stuff. So that that that's always you know followed him around the league as it was. But he did say in that meeting. I mean, and he was very strict. I mean, he was probably one of the 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 few guys we saw in a position uh, meeting basically tell these guys what it is. You know, he was very strict to the point, direct. Um, and you know, he he basically came out and said, "I could have been in a lot of different places. I came to Cleveland because I want to be here." And if you want to be here, good. We're going to be all good. If you don't want to be here, basically get the hell out. Um, which is, I, I think that's a good sign. Uh, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, especially that defense with a guy like Miles Garrett, we saw Willie McGinnis come on and and talk to Miles a little bit about you know sort of the talent that he have and he has and what he can develop as a pass rusher um, in this league. So I mean, is there a little bit of a bright spot there? Just that it seems like Greg Williams does have a good hold on what's going on with that defense, even though it is uh, a very aggressive <laughs> aggressive pitch to those guys.
1: You know, I, I, think this, I think this, Dave Fraser. I think all these young players have no idea really what it takes to be great. I mean, they have no idea. They're sitting in the team meeting room, and Ryan Nespis is the financial advisor, and that's great. And as I've said to you many times, players in team meetings, the players in their own meeting, they open up this business page before they open up the sports page. You know, so it's not like don't be all, the, all upset that they're talking about money because that's what most conversations are. However, that being said, you know, somebody's got to teach Miles Garrett how to be a player. Somebody's got to teach them how to be a pro. And if it's not coming from the coaches, who's it coming from? You've got a young team. You can mold this team any way you want. You can decide how you want it to be. But if you don't do that, if you don't take command, it's never going to happen. And Greg Williams can't have command of it because it's not coming through the culture. I think it's a really hard situation. I just think this is the perfect example. For me, watching this, this is the perfect example of why what Bill Walsh said in 1984, we're really only competing against eight. The, there's only eight teams we're competing against and you can count Cleveland as not one of the eight. I don't care if they win five games, six, they're not one of the eight. It ain't going to happen.
0: And it kind of seems like uh, you could tell early on, I mean, a lot of people were, you know, obviously responding to this episode and, you know, people were giving their comments on Hugh Jackson. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, I, I think we've covered that pretty well for his first uh, situation. I, I did want to say something about um, him finding out the news about his family and, and having that those real uh, visceral moments and, and images out there to the world and you know just seeing Dorsey Dorsey really wanted to be there uh, in the room to try to give him someone to lean on um, it seemed like you know he was trying to do the uh, the very old school coach method which is you know basically you know brush it under the rug and, and keep plugging away I mean as he told some of the guys in there as he's watching tape you know he, he tells them the news about, it, about his mother and uh, obviously uh, you know about uh, how it all happened and how it just had just happened and then he goes back to talking about the eye formation, you know what I mean, in a split second. So um he he was trying to be a, a very, you know, strong-minded, strong-willed person with this, but that is a very, very, very tough situation. Um and and that that is one of those moments where it gets above football and goes back to humanity and and you hope that you know he's able to grieve in the proper in the proper channel in the proper fashion. We saw the offensive linemen all say they were going to send something for his mother's funeral, which was good to see. So that was one of the moments where we saw a real human side of Hugh, and I, I did want to mention that.
1: Yeah, no doubt, and I mean, look, I don't care how old you are. You know, I mean, I lost my mother when I was, uh, you know, just. Uh Fifty-one or fifty-two, and you know, doesn't matter how old you are. You lose your mom, you lose your mom. It hurts. It always will hurt. You always remember it. So it's a painful experience, and and that's there's no doubt. And then there's that's the personal side of what we saw with Hard Knocks. The professional side we saw of Hard Knocks is for me, it just to me when I got done watching the episode, it was very clear that the reason Belichick's able to win as much as he's win is because the level of comp is so bad. <laughs> That's now, a, and He's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the difference between Belichick and what we're watching on that television, from what I saw, would be like from here to Fiji.
0: Yeah, there is a, uh, there is a drastic difference in how things are being handled. Uh, I want to point out two things that are sort of lighthearted that happened in the episode. Carl Nassib, uh, defensive end, uh, had like sort of a date, sort of pseudo date with Taylor Swift um, that was uh, made fun of by everyone in Cleveland, which was... Uh, very enjoyable to see. And then Nick Chubb. Uh, we, we talked about Baker kind of buying into the hype. I mean, if you're Nick Chubb and you're a Nick Chubb fan, you have to feel pretty good that he's in Cleveland and he has people at the airport asking him if he plays football or basketball or, or what position he plays. And meanwhile, you know, if you watch college football, Nick Chubb is an absolute superstar on one of the best teams we saw last year in college football. And uh, if if that didn't humble Nick Chubb and get him ready for camp, I don't know what uh, what else would. So that that was probably yeah, but good news. I think news.
1: that's another symbol. That's another symbol about how you build a team, right? Everybody has to be the same when you build a team and you've got to, you know, one guy can't have, you know, all the attention and all that. So I just think to me, one thing I'd find fascinating about the episode was when I did work for Jimmy Haslam in the one year and, and prior to working for Haslam, he was fascinated by Belichick. He wanted to learn about what Belichick did. He was fascinated. He went and spent a couple of days with him. He used to go see him in Nantucket and what he's been able to develop in Cleveland is so anti-Belichick that I don't even know why he spent all that time doing it.
0: That's a, that's, a, that's a good point, Lombardi. I, and we should say, John Dorsey was a guy uh, we didn't know how, you know, like, like you said, we didn't see much of the Hazem family. We did see a lot of John Dorsey in this episode. He was obviously around. You can tell that he and Hugh are, you know, they they have a very communicative relationship. They're back and forth. Um, they're in the room a lot with each other. Dorsey is uh, is a guy to talk about because he makes uh, the Corey Coleman trade, a guy that was a first-round pick, um, and, the, and they trade Corey Coleman to Buffalo. We did see in that episode, I believe, uh, Todd Haley at one point was yelling at, at Corey Coleman. Um and, and then, you know, of course, Corey Coleman gets traded to the Bills. And it, it was apparently for a future draft pick, right? Or is it actually for players?
1: It's you know, I think it's a late it's a conditional late pick. I I think look, I think Halley was yelling at him. I think look, I, I don't know if if it's Coleman's fault, but when the trainer gives you days off, when the trainer tells you when you when you're tired because the performance coach says this is, you know, this is when Look, I have no idea. I don't think John Dorsey's done deal. And I think John Dorsey's going to keep making trades. He got rid of Coleman. Remember when they drafted Coleman, Hugh was all bored on that one. He loved Coleman. I mean, he loved him. And I think this is a point that, you know, and and everybody talks about, oh, they got all these draft picks. Well, start down up, all the draft picks. I mean, Coleman's gone. There was another pick that they traded down, traded away from Deshaun Watson so they can get Coleman, you know, or or, no, they traded away from, I forget.
0: Wasn't it Carson Wentz?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's how I want to go back. They trade away from Carson Wentz to go get, you know, to get these extra picks really good for you. You know, now they don't have Carson Wentz and they got, they don't have Coleman either because they didn't make the pick stick. So, you know, I think picks really matter. You know, having picks are great, but making the picks work really matter the most. And unfortunately in Cleveland, that hasn't been the case. I don't think Dorsey's done deal. And I mean, I could see him trading. I mean, look, he's just, he signed uh, Michael Kendricks from the Eagles. He's got uh, Joe Schubert in there at inside linebacker. I could see him trading Jamie Collins, who's due to make $10 million this year. And then he's who could opt out of his deal next year. I could see him doing a lot of different things. I think he's not done dealing in that roster.
0: Absolutely, and, and that will be the the thing to keep an eye on. Especially, I mean, we may be able to see it unfold live uh, on Hard Knocks over the next couple of weeks as uh, as these things sort of play out. I, I will say just about the receiving core in general in Cleveland, and this will be our last thing on on, on the Browns before we move on. I'm glad we we've covered Cleveland uh, more than most. Uh, we didn't grade
1: them though. We didn't grade the show. How would you grade the show before you get there?
0: Uh, grade the show. I, I'm going to give it a B minus. Uh, I would say my average is the Joe Philbin Dolphins. That was probably my my uh, right at the equilibrium of will I watch it I I'm intrigued by the idea of Cleveland and and what they could possibly do I do like Jarvis Landry as a character I think that that will keep us entertained for a little while but I, I give it about a B minus what about you
1: You know I think if you if if you ever been a part of a winning program like I have and you've watched great coaches and you watch that you would say that that's so far from it you could never do it <laughs> so you know from a professional standpoint I you know I I don't know a C minus but from a from a from watching it and learning it, you know, watching and, and absorbing the production of it, HBO's thing, I would say B minus.
0: Yeah, right around there. I mean, it, the good news about it is, I mean, as much as we are uh, critiquing and, and judging what's going on in Cleveland, it is amazing that we do get the inside uh, look at what these guys are up to and, and maybe understand which the culture great, a little bit. Which is yeah. great
1: for the fan. That's what my book's about: giving an inside view. It's just completely different from Woody from really what really truly happens in the NFL. If that's what's, if that's, I mean, I'm sure Todd Haley walked out of that room saying, this is not how Parcells would have done it.
0: absolutely not no I don't think that even it might not even cross his mind he was so frustrated at that point Uh, just talking about the (laughs) receivers uh, some 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 name the biggest name obviously out there and and a guy that is a pro bowler and we know the talent that he has naturally um, Josh Gordon is is a guy that is still floating out there he he's addressing um, his issues independently of the franchise at the moment we did see uh, in the episode that he had texted Hugh Jackson that uh, he will see him soon so that was that was big news to to get because of Gordon comes back to that receiving core, and you have a real outside threat, a deep threat like Josh Gordon, um, that opens up things for everybody, especially for a guy like Jarvis Landry. If they put him back in the slot, um, and you know, you know, you could see Rashard Higgins, Hollywood Higgins, maybe uh, get, you know, find some life out there on the outside for for the Browns. As, as I mean,
1: Callaway could stay out of trouble. I think you know Dorsey as a general manager has been very fortunate. He's taken some real character risk in Kansas City. And they have paid off. I mean, the Kelsey thing. Not, no, Kelsey was not on a lot of people's board when he took him. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill was not on a lot of people's board for good reason. Why he why he got him? So when you start looking at some of the Mar- Marcus Peters was not on a lot of people's board when he took him. And those three picks ended up kind of – Peter's fettered out on him. But for the most part, now he takes Callaway. Now the kid's saying, well, it wasn't my marijuana in the car. The car just got up here. It wasn't my ammunition in the car. It just got up here. Look, there's been a lot of signs. This kid missed his senior year of school. There's a lot of red flags around this guy. You put him in the room with Josh Gordon. I don't think that's the kind of, again, this is not the kind of culture you want to surround your players with, or else it's just going to go off the deep end. So, look, Gordon missed 43 out of 49 games. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about a player that never plays.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, 43 out of 48. Um, he obviously was electric when he was out there, but 2014 is a, <laughs> very far removed from 2018. That so
1: was the year I was there. I yeah. mean, that was the year I was there. He yeah. was there, and he was great. And, you know, we had a chance to trade him to San Francisco. We turned it down because we thought he could turn the corner. And one of the people that was spending time with him said he's never going to turn the corner. He was pretty adamant about it. And and I wish he can. And I hope he has. And I'm glad that he's had, you know, whatever reason he's missing camp to get himself straight is great. And I hope Josh can come back. But he couldn't do it at Baylor. He couldn't do it at Utah. He hasn't been able to do it at Cleveland. And so, you know, you're counting on somebody that can't really do it. You've got a lot invested in him. It's kind of going to be very difficult.
0: It kind of reminds me, and and I hope that you know there can be some sort of good moment, uh, it, you know, in where he finds a little bit of a home. But you know, Josh Hamilton in baseball, um, he was going yep. through a lot of issues with with these sort of things and and addiction and 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 all of the, all of that stuff was going on, and he found sort of a home with the Rangers for a little while, where he kind of got his head clear and, and things were going well in the field and off the field, and um and you hope that Josh Gordon will have some sort of clarity at some point where maybe he can find that in Cleveland, and obviously that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, let's get to some uh, probably the biggest news that's going around the NFL as far as uh, you know contract talk and, and what's going on with that, um, and that is Khalil Mack obviously in, in Oakland with the Raiders and Aaron Donald down with the LA Rams. Both of those guys, you know, we we talked about this a little last week, but basically. Aaron Donald is going to set the market for the defensive tackles, and then that is going to, in turn, set the market for, for Khalil Mack uh, with what he can do uh, with the Oakland Raiders as a DN and what money he wants to get guaranteed from them. Um, what's sort of the update here, and what, what are you hearing, Lombardi?
1: I, I don't think there's going to be much of an update. I think that Khalil Mack is just going to have to play on the tender Yep. You know, because I don't think a deal's coming for him. I I just don't think that's in the car. It doesn't make sense for the Raiders to do that. The Raiders have to kind of get some things straightened out with their own team. And with Mac, I'm not sure that that's, that's going to be part of the equation. And, and Donald, I mean, Les Snead came out today and said we're in the same ballpark, the same zip code. I don't know really what that means. Obviously, he's going to make over 18 or $19 million. And then, you know, if he does that, if he gets paid a quarterback money, do you think, my man, now I know they're completely different positions, but now we know that... Beck, our boy Ferris Bueller's opened up negotiations with the Giants. So, you know, and he wants to get over $16, 17000000 with Sammy Watkins. got is he going to get to 20 So all of a sudden, you start paying $20 million for these p- players that don't play a position called quarterback, it gets really hard. The Rams, for example, when they pay Donald and they pay Gurley, and if they're going to pay Goff, they could have three players at over $100 million. It's hard to fill the team when you have that.
0: So you got to go cheap, obviously, uh, and then that's sort of. Does... Well, that's
1: why the Rams are trying to do it now. They're yeah. going cheap now because mm-hmm. they've got a cheap quarterback. You know, you miss your window when you have a cheap quarterback. Like Dallas has missed their window with Prescott. Prescott's been cheap. You should. You you needed to make your run. Dallas was old. Dallas should have cut Witten and Bryant last year. The two years ago. When, once once they realized that Des was the real thing, they should have gotten young and built their team around them and not have, not be caught, caught in cap jail. They got the greatest gift of all. They got a quarterback for free. When you get a quarterback for free, that's what the Eagles are doing. The Eagles are taking Wentz and basically they're building their team around them with a lot of parts because Wentz, by the time Wentz's contract comes up, they will be a really good team. They already are a good team and then they can afford them. But when you just let this thing slide, you know, that's what happened to the Raiders. The Raiders went ahead and when car was cheap, they had a lot of players. Now they don't. So, I, I think you're going to see a change a little bit here. And the Rams, I mean, this is where the Rams. The Rams got to make their hay right now, and we know why they're doing it. Healthy Fraser. They're trying to put. They got. They got a lot of. They got a lot of inventory to sell. They got to sell those seats.
0: Yeah, of course they got to prove that they are the team that you know is going to be the face of Los Angeles. Obviously, a lot of people have leaned into the Rams because they were so good last year. When you win in L.A., you get a lot more fans than when you don't win, obviously. Uh, and just in the NFC West, I mean, a good comparison was when Russell Wilson came into the league with the Seahawks, right? I mean, he's on that rookie right. deal as a as a quarterback. You get all these pieces on defense uh, that are electric, you know, whether it be Irvin or you know all, all these guys that they had on defense. Obviously, you know, are their old Thomas types and Sherman, all, all those guys, Legion of Boom days. Um, but that's what they had in in the nfc west with russell wilson but once russell wilson had to get paid things change and they have to shift you know priorities on the team and they went to a more pass first offense rather than a run first like they had with Marshawn, and and things change and the rams 2020 is what they have to you know once they get there with Goff, they're going to have to uh, readdress the whole situation with Goff and see if he's going to be the guy they give uh the big bucks which you know as of now he's going to get that because they're winning games Another break to get a word from our sponsor, FanDuel. There are lots of fantasy apps, but FanDuel is an easier-to-use choice. With more features for everyday players and more ways to win than ever before, like FanDuel's new tool, the Guru, not the love guru which helps you make smarter picks so you can feel more confident going into game day. Just start by picking any player. If you pick a QB, Guru will use tested DFS strategies to recommend the best wide receivers and best tight ends to pair with them, Or opt for the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook app. This is the future of sports betting. It's currently available in New Jersey. That's Lombardi's home. But if you are passing through Newark, you can start making your picks as soon as you hit the ground. Not to mention, these guys tell me that live betting is coming sooner than you think. And this season, FanDuel even has a free weekly pick'em contest. They also have... The biggest ever free NFL Survivor League with 250000 up for grabs. New players, try FanDuel today and get a $20 bonus when you make your first deposit. Just sign up and use promo code THERINGER. I want to ask you about the OBJ thing, uh, thing with with Ferris a little bit. He did came, come out and say that he was very excited about... Um, The negotiations and what's going on with those, and and seems to be pretty positive. Is that just you know lip service a little bit to put out there to the world, or is that just good PR, or is that something that's really happening in in uh, New York with Gettleman? Uh,
1: I think this. I I think that you know the the Giants are look. The Giants have a couple choices here. They they want you know the word around the street. I can't prove that this is accurate, but talking to people in the league, and I said, hey, are the Giants trying to move Beckham? And they said, well, you know, if you if they if they give them two number ones, they might move them who's paying two number ones. Right. So that you really, it's like the other day I was in a coffee shop and they had these nice mugs. And I said to the lady, I said, how much are these mugs? And she said, $16. I said, you really don't want to sell mugs, do you lady? Like you really, <laughs> if, when you charge $16 for a coffee mug, you don't want to sell them. Right. When you're asking for two number ones for a player, you're not, you're really not trying to trade them. Right. So it's the same thing. And I, and I think to me, if they pay him, you know, that, that means they're going through. If they had a young quarterback, then paying Beckham's a lot easier. But they don't have a young quarterback. They've got an expensive quarterback. I mean, the Giants are one of these teams this year. I think they're moving all their chips to the middle of the table. If they win, we know the NFC East can go from, first to, from last to first in a hurry. I mean, it's, it's a top-sided division, top-sided division, so it might happen. They've got an easier schedule. And if Eli can play, I think they'll be better at the offensive line. But signing Beckham to a huge deal... Without a young quarterback, it's going to take a lot of room.
0: And, I mean, it could be one of those things, right, where if this is the end of Eli, um, you basically just shift shift that quarterback money to OBJ. Say OBJ is basically our quarterback and then try to get a young guy uh, in the draft next year or, you know, whether it be a trade or whatever it may be. But, I mean, that could be the the, the move for the Giants, right? Just to basically cut ties with Eli and, and move all everything to uh, OBJ, which is obviously a skill position. Um, it's, it's not as impactful as the quarterback position, but that may, that may be something that they end up doing, even though that's not really Gettleman's MO, honestly, at the end of the day. So it, it's something right. to keep an eye on.
1: I think we will. And I think, you know, if he gets north of eighteen million, which is what which is what you know, then all of a sudden this whole thing's gonna change completely. This yeah. whole market for is gonna completely go upside down.
0: Yeah, because everyone's just gonna point at OBJ and say, why can't I get that? Uh, let's talk about exactly. you talk about rookie quarterbacks uh, and the impact of young guys coming into games. Sam Darnold, we talked about it last week, he, he gets signed finally. Um he, he's there in New York. Todd Bowles is excited about having Darnold uh, back and ready and, and we got rookies in the first preseason game. And so if you have a guy like Darnold, you know, we've seen the Jets go through this before when they got Sanchez, Um, you know, they got their USC guy. They got they got the guy that fits the profile of a New York Jet quarterback in their mind. Um, Big kid, obviously big arm. Uh, what, what do you expect to see from from Darnold in, in, in his first preseason game when he comes in?
1: Look, I think the key thing for for all these young quarterbacks is to play with the with the starting line. They have to because it, what happens in preseason game when the bad backup line comes in, you know the whole play breaks down and shit starts to happen. Guys running for their lives. So, but I expect Donald to play well. I think they you know, early they play him in the first preseason game. They open up with Atlanta, so it's an easier defense to read. It's going to be cover three. It's going to be something he's used to from his time at USC. He's going to understand it. I think you know if the line holds up, he'll play well. I would be shocked if Donald's not the starting quarterback come opening day. I mean, there's too much talent, there's too much upside with the kid to really not inter- integrate him in right away. And he seems poised, and he seems to be able to handle it really well. So my sense of it is is that I, I think Rosen, the same thing. I think this this Cardinal team got really hard schedule to start off with. They got one of the hardest schedules in the NFL coming in. If Rosen is the starting quarterback, then you know, he's going to face a really tough schedule to begin the season. be interesting to see how that holds up. Going back to the Jets, though, I think they've got to really watch. Forget, Donald's going to be fun to watch is what happens with Teddy Bridgewater. I think Teddy mm-hmm. Bridgewater is the most interesting guy in the preseason this year because if he plays well, he gives the team a chance to find a quarterback. Whether it's whether it's the Tampa Bay Bucks for the first three weeks of the season, or longer, or maybe it's someone else out there that needs a quarterback, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what Bridgewater does. He's to me the most interesting guy in the preseason.
0: Absolutely, and if he puts on a show, uh, and people kind of buy into uh-huh. the idea that he could be a guy that could maybe even be a bridge to a Josh Rosen or, or one of these other young rookie quarterbacks, you know, that there's a world in which you could do that. Or if there's a team. You know, he, he could get into the world where he's basically Tyrod Taylor, right? So he's like a mercenary quarterback that you bring in to control the game, control the clock, control the ball, and, and try to win football games uh, in, in a different kind of way. And, and Teddy could be that guy for for some team. Maybe even, you know, a team like the Bengals that are, you know, maybe trying to... I,
1: I think Teddy could be better than Tyrod Taylor. One thing about Tyrod Taylor, it's amazing that I think that's really, it's a tribute to Tyrod Taylor, the person. Everybody oh, yes. who's ever coached Tyrod Taylor loves him. Of course. They love him.
0: Mm-hmm. Frank Beamer, and so loves that's because
1: his, they love his work ethic. They love all that. It's when he just doesn't make enough plays is when he falls out of favor. I think the same thing. Too, everybody loves Teddy. Now people just got to see if Teddy's healthy and can actually execute.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, you you brought up a good question uh, when we were talking earlier about it, what we we're going to talk about on the show, and you you asked uh, who will have the first pick in the draft. And as you were bringing this up, this is
1: something I think we should discuss in length. Like, who do you think right now, just reading all this stuff, who has the first pick in the draft? Now? If you were going to bet money, go to Vegas and bet who would be the first pick in the draft?
0: It's really tough. I, I, I'm going back and forth. I I, I do think it's got to be the Cardinals. I, I think the, 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 just because of their division, uh, with what they're going to go up against, I think the Seahawks are going to be a lot better because their O line is going to be a lot a lot better. I think they got Sweezy back, J.R. Sweezy, a guy that uh, he and Russell Wilson they have like some sort of weird magic. You know, they're basically like Scottie Pippen and Jordan. Like he understands where Russell Wilson needs to go as far as when when the pocket is collapsing on him. Um, I, I like what the Seahawks are doing in the NFC West, and I just think that the Cardinals are going to be uh, the team that gets knocked out because of Jimmy G and obviously the Rams, and obviously because of Russell Wilson. So I think they're going to get beat up in their own division. Um, they got a rookie quarterback, and I, I see the Cardinals being a team that will have that top pick.
1: I think it's Miami. Mm. I think it's Miami. I think if Miami, and, and I think even if Tannehill's healthy. It could be, but if Tenhill gets hurt, they have nobody behind them. I mean, I think you got to look at that. I think you got to look at those. Like, it could be San Francisco if Garoppolo gets hurt, right? Yep. I, mean, here, I mean, they have C.J. Beathard behind him, so I think you got to look at a team. I mean, Sam Bradford gets hurt, you could certainly say it's Arizona. I agree with you; there's certainly a team there. I mean, Tampa Bay has a tough schedule to start the season off, and with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and if things start to fall apart down there, and Dirk gets fired or something like that, that could be the case. So. My guess right now is Miami. I think that'll be the fascinating thing to watch in the preseason is watching some of these teams and see how actually how they all come out and how they play. You can learn enough about a team in the preseason to really get an idea where they're going.
0: One other team that I, I want to ask you about, and it's another team that's floated out there as, as being at the bottom of, uh, of the league as far as you know wins and all that sort of stuff, uh, the Chicago Bears. I mean, there is some excitement uh, around like Matt Nagy and uh, the, I think it's, what, what's it called? The fun and gun offense is what everyone's yeah. talking about. I mean, I, a, a, yeah. and, and
1: well, it should be on paper. I mean, Chicago looks much better. I mean, their defense is good. Their offense looks like they've got two running backs. They've got receivers now. They had the worst receivers in football last year. Now mm-hmm. they seem better. But it's all going to come down to one guy, your boy. You're 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 your alumnus. Yes, Mitchell Trubisky. If you have faith in Mitchell Trubisky, then you know go and bet the go and bet the Bears for the over. If you're not sure about Mitchell, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what he does in the preseason.
0: Yeah, he's had some. Uh, I've seen a lot of mixed reports coming out of camp, and. I mean, we talked about this last week—the endowment effect and how much can, how much can you take in, uh, take stock in what you see out of camp. But I, I've seen you know one day it'll be Mitchell looks amazing, you know he's throwing the deep ball a lot better. The next day it'll be like you know they had to pull Trubisky out because he was throwing too many interceptions. So it, it's a lot, it's a lot of interesting reports one thing coming
1: about preseason. When yeah. you're reading all this stuff, there's an old line by George Allen, the old Rex Redskin coach. He said this. He said you know evaluate the evaluator. So who's ever doing the evaluation, you got to evaluate him before you can really understand whether that's for true or not because yeah. as evaluators we all make mistakes
0: of course and, we, and everyone has their own opinion and, and preconceived notion about who's going to be good or bad effect. yes of exactly. course exactly.
1: everybody has you know people at Lombardi you never liked Trubisky so you're just going to say he's playing bad well, if I never liked him and I say he's playing good, that means I really like him, right?
0: Yeah, of course. You know?
1: And so it's the same thing. Every you know, I'm not. I, I'm still not sold on Goff, not because I, it's an endowment effect. It's just because when you watch the Rams and you see how their offense and what Sean McVay did and how well he effectively changed their offense and what Gurley brought to it, I want to see more from Goff before I say he's all in. And if he does it again, then
0: I'll say it. Absolutely. And we we should say the whole point, the only reason that you had – the Trubisky holdup was not because of Trubisky, the player, but it was tr- it was the value of the pick with Deshaun Watson on the board. Um, which no I, doubt, which I always and, like and, to bring and
1: still, up. And still, to me, it's like there's not enough history. Thirteen games for me is hard to bet put over. You know, and and I tell you, Ryan Pace better hope that 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 Trubisky's the guy because Deshaun Watson's going to be the guy in Houston. There's no doubt.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. Um, one last thing before we get out of here, Aaron Rodgers came out. Aaron Rodgers, now the 35 year old quarterback, he he is coming out and said he's a grumpy old man now um, because he calls out all of his young receivers in Green Bay, says that they have to be a lot better um, if they want to have any chance to win, and he is in a win now. Uh, period of his career so if you if you don't want to jump on board you need to get off board uh, a little bit of a greg williams hat tip there but uh just just rogers and that i mean obviously that's just him using the media to send a message but i, I thought it was interesting interesting that he came I out said that.
1: i mean that's what you need that's what you want that's what you have to have you got to have your best players set the tone for intolerance for anything that's in the way of winning yeah, that's what you got to have. You can call him a jerk all you want, you know, but that's what he needs. He needs he's got a bunch of young receivers. He's got Randall Cobb, who's not healthy. They would trade Randall Cobb if they got the right offer. So he really knows that you've got, you know, you've got a bunch of younger receivers he's trying to develop. He doesn't have the guys that he used to have in there. He's got to make them better and the pressure is going to fall on him. And if he does, then he's got a chance. The same thing, you know, you think Brady's sitting up there at a picnic? I mean, you think, I mean, Brady, it's took him a year. I mean, Mitch, uh, Philip Dorsett might end up being the best receiver for the Patriots this year. If, in fact, Brady will end up trusting him. If Brady trusts him, he'll end up being that guy. If not, he won't.
0: Can I ask you about one uh, rookie wide receiver that's up there uh, with the Patriots? Just, this is my last thing. What is Braxton Berrios? Have you heard anything from him? Cause I, I... You know,
1: I think, I think it's a competitive situation. I think, you know, right now it's going to have to be how he does in the games. I think that's what we're looking for is what you know that that receiver situation in new England is tedious at best. I mean, when they sign Decker can't get away from press coverage, you know, uh, it's going to be hard for him. He knows what to do, but he's not very fast and he can't separate. So I think a lot of it's going to come down to who's playing on the outside. Is it going to be Cordell Patterson? Can it be Kenny Britt? Hard to take two guys on your, on your receiver core that really are not versatile in terms of their knowledge of the offense. Okay. So, you're going to only have one of those guys. Is it Patterson? Is it Britt? I think that's how that's going to play out. And then they'll see what they'll do with Decker. I think Barrows is going to be a guy. Can he play in the slot? And does he do anything in the preseason? That's going to be key.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting wide receiver situation for Tom Brady. Maybe uh, the most depleted Uh, talent pool he's had in in quite some time as far as just go-to guys to lean on. But uh, he is Tom Brady, and he tends to figure those things out pretty quickly. Um, Before we get out of here, Lombardi, anything else that you have uh, out in the world? No, just
1: wish me luck traveling tomorrow, Tate Fraser. Just wish me luck, because I'm back to American Airlines again tomorrow. So wish me luck. Hopefully I can. I get out to LA and then we can just sit down and do this face to face.
0: Yeah, let's hope uh, second time is the charm, and let's hope American Airlines uh, treats you well this time. That's all we can hope for I'll these say days. It, Fraser. This has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We will be back next week to talk more NFL football. Thanks again to FanDuel. This NFL season, FanDuel has more ways to win than ever before, like the free weekly pick'em contest. Or FanDuel's free NFL Survivor League. Pick one team every week of the season for a chance at the $250,000 prize. FanDuel even has a tool called Guru, which helps you pick your lineup so you can feel more confident going into game day. New players try FanDuel today and get a $20 bonus when you make your first deposit. Just sign up and use promo code THERINGER.